please join me as we look at today's passage from Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did not God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the shepherd said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows what that when you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. Thanks, Brad. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing to be able to come to your word now. We thank you for uh, your leadership of us in worship, of drawing us to yourself, of inviting us into your presence, to sending, uh, by sending your Holy Spirit among us. God, we know that you are with us, that we are not uh, here practicing some kind of religious exercise to conjure up uh, your presence. You're, you're here, and we're thankful that uh, nothing we have done uh, has convinced you to abandon us, that you have been with us all along. God, we thank you that even as we turn uh, to a difficult uh, subject today, and especially our own sin, uh, as we just read in your word, God, we're, we're especially mindful that your presence is with us today. Lord, bless these moments uh, as we worship you in your word. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> a few generations ago, I, I think people literally sang the Kumbaya song around a campfire. Uh, and uh, I think when I was in middle school, there was one time where uh, I had a youth group that actually sang that Kumbaya song, but it's probably only because the guy playing guitar only knew a few chords or whatever, and that was just something he could figure out, right? So we don't actually uh, sing that song now. It's kind of a, a punching bag. We make fun of that song because when we think of Kumbaya, we think of this kind of naive, uh, foolish innocence where we think, you know, hey, you can all just get along if you just all sit around and sing Kumbaya together, right? That's how we kind of use uh, Kumbaya. And when it comes to uh, racial tensions in our world today, we would say it's, it's foolishly naive to think, hey, why can't we just all get around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and we'll all be okay, right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't, that's great. Wouldn't that be great? But we all know that that is foolish, and I, I would agree with that. Uh, looking at the, the tensions, uh, the conflicts in our world, it, it's not that simple. However, I looked into that Kumbaya song. Interestingly enough, uh, the, the um, uh, people, whoever researches these things, I don't know, whoever they are, uh, they tracked it back. Our best guess of where that song came from is from the Gullah people right here in South Carolina, in the Georgia, uh, South Carolina coast. 
And that word uh, kumbaya literally means come by here. So the song is singing, come by here, Lord, come by here. So that actually is what we need when it comes to the racial tensions and strife and stress of our world today. We need the Lord to come here. It would take and will take a miracle of God and God alone to bring peace and reconciliation and wholeness in our world. We need the Lord to intervene, and He has. It's called the gospel. If you were with us last week, we are starting just a, we're doing in the now in the middle of a very short series called The Gospel and Race. And I pointed out last week that that order is very intentional. The gospel in big letters and race, little letters, because we believe the solution, we believe what the Bible describes to us as the answer to not just racial tensions, but all of our biggest concerns in this life, is the gospel. Not something we've accomplished, but something Christ accomplished for us. And so this month, we are following a pattern of the gospel to make the gospel our foundation, the gospel explicit. We want to see, we want to make sure everybody can see the gospel and then specifically apply that to the issues of our world. We, uh, as Christians, want to be, uh, find this, this common ground to be united upon, and we know it can only happen in the gospel. We, as, as people in this room, <clears throat> as Infinity Church, as Christians in general, we will not ever be united by a political party or a social movement. The only thing that can unite us and should unite us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we stand on here today and every day. The gospel is the, the good news. The, the big story of the gospel, simply enough, is this, that God created the world good. And we looked at that last week, how we were created in His image, and He said it was very good. And yet the fall happened soon thereafter, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, plunging all of humanity into this brokenness. But God brought about redemption by sending His Son, Jesus, the perfect image of God, to display God. And He Himself, being God, died in our place and took our penalty and all the wrath we deserved. And by resurrecting on the third day, He made possible restoration, that we would be united to Him because of what He accomplished. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the big picture story of the Bible, and that is the gospel. And for us as Christians, we don't do something to merit that. We don't earn that story. We don't uh, make ourselves worthy to receive it. We believe in it by faith. It is all grace. It is all God's work. And so now by God's Holy Spirit, He comes and He applies that story to our lives so He can bear fruit in us and through us as we participate in His kingdom. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's our foundation. That's what we are united on today. Last week, we began with a, a picture of, uh, of our world today, of what it looks like, all the, the tension and the strife you see in the news and in social media and everywhere else you turn. And we ask, well, why? How did it happen? How did we get here? What, what is the cause of all of this? And that's uh, especially important because one of the things we see in our world right now is lots of pointing fingers, right? We say, you, this is your fault. And that person says, no, it's not my fault. It's your fault. And there's lots of screaming back and forth. And really, a biblical worldview is the only way we're going to be able to move forward in these kinds of discussions. 
especially as Christians. Because biblically, this, uh, there, there are lots of, uh, of nuances and difficulties, but there are some really clear biblical foundations that we want to stand on. In the Bible, the, the, the cause of all of this is what Brad just read for us, what we call the fall, where sin entered the world. All the tensions and differing opinions, we can all, as Christians, unite uh, back to saying this is where it starts. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. We can be united uh, as much as we would like to, to have more encouraging things to say and be unified around. We can be unified around this. We're all sinners. Uh, we are fallen people. Genesis 3 uh, tells the story of this serpent who is Satan himself, crafty and deceiving. And he comes up to Eve and Adam who is with her and uh, begins by uh, questioning God's words. So from right there, that should be a, a tip to us. This isn't going to go well. He starts with, did God really say? He's starting to take God's words and, and twist them. Eve, when she responded, she apparently, you know, when Adam had given, God had given to Adam the command, and Adam was supposed to give this to Eve, she apparently missed something because she, she takes and adds to what God says. Again, she didn't quite get God's words. Satan twisted it and deceived him and tempted uh, Eve and Adam who was with her, and Eve thought this fruit seemed delightful to the eyes. And so she ate of the forbidden fruit and gave some with Adam. And in that one act of disobedience, one act of rebellious sin against God, everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Every relationship from that moment moving forward has been marred. People's relationship, of course, with God is affected by that disobedience and directly sinning against Him. We broke that relationship. But not just our vertical relationship. Relationship between one another was broken in that moment. In that moment, Adam and Eve realized they, they became shameful. They were embarrassed to be in front of one another and went and covered up. People's relationship with creation was broken in that moment. From that point moving forward, Adam would be the, the ground is cursed and it was difficult for him to grow crops. And Eve, her own body was cursed and raising the, uh, in pregnancy and childbirth that would be painful. Another relationship that's broken is our relationship with ourselves. That shame that they felt wasn't just external, they internalized it. Between God, one another, creation, and ourselves, all of it is broken in that moment at the fall. We can see this in any given week just on some of the prayer requests our prayer team keeps around here. We pray over health issues like cancer. We pray over personal relationship issues like marriages. We pray over spiritual issues like children or spouses who, who, who uh, were praying that they would come to know the Lord. We, we see this ongoing effect of sin all around us in the world. That's the tragedy of sin. And the fall is also the, 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 the point at, in Genesis that is then the trajectory downward for the rest of humanity. Just keep following the book of Genesis and you see that it continues to unravel from that point. As soon as you go through Genesis, you come in contact with murder and an entire generation who is wicked and wiped out by a flood. You come up on drunkenness and deceit and lies and all kinds of weird marriage things that go on in the book of Genesis. It spreads like wildfire. And not just in Genesis, in our own lives. The New Testament helps us understand why, why that's still 
true today. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single person who has ever lived from the very beginning till now has been marred by sin. That's why Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Last week, we, we held up the dignity and worth of our humanity. To be human is to be created in the image of God. That applies to every single person. But today, we also have to recognize something else that also applies to every single person. Of all ages, of all races, of all ethnicities, all nationalities, every political spectrum, every, everybody. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have unity in that, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness. It's really an important foundation because if we want to seek any kind of solutions, if we want to seek any kind of progress, if we want to seek any kind of movement forward in, in difficult conversations, we have to know what the problem is. We have to be able to diagnose the problem, and the problem is sin in all of us, which means that we should be sickened by sin but we shouldn't be surprised by sin. We should be grieved. It should hurt our stomachs. We should be sickened when we see sin all around us. And at the same time, when the next bad things happen, we, we shouldn't exactly be surprised by it. We should see that we as humanity are fallen, and so it shouldn't catch us off guard. The Bible describes the seriousness of sin and the wrath it deserves. Romans 3 uh, 10 to 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's your upbeat and encouraging word for today. No, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. When it, when it comes to sin, we should never make light of it. We should never uh, be nonchalant about it. Because it affects everything and every person. So then we in no way should be surprised. We should be sickened, but we shouldn't be surprised when sin enters into relationships between people of different races or nationalities or ethnicities. If we can all agree that sin is the problem, then, then what specific sins do we see in between different people, people of different ethnicities and backgrounds and races? We want, we want to know what the Bible speaks against so that we as Christians can be united in how to move forward. There's a lot of things there, but there's at least two sins that are right here in the beginning, in Genesis, that we see affecting our relationships with one another, and then as it goes through the course of human history, affecting the relationships between people of different races. So I want to name them so we can be warned against them. So watch out for sins of pride and sins of hate. Watch out for pride and hate. These are two sins that go all the way back to the very beginning. It's been said that the very essence of all sin is idolatry. It's putting anything else in the place of God. But one of the primary ways that we do that, we put something in the place of God, is pride. Because who else do we want to put in the place of God except for us? That's the primary person we want to be God. Not God, but me. I want to make decisions. I, I want to do things my way. And you hear that was the temptation that Satan gave to Eve. 
In verse 4 and 5, this is how the, uh, Satan twisted God's words and tempted Eve and Adam. He said, this, this is the serpent, he said, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In essence, he's saying, God, you don't have to just take his orders. You can be God yourself. That's the temptation. Pride. You can be God. You can be like God. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They had the perfect opportunity, like we would have, to be in perfect relationship and communion with God. But it's clear that one is created and one is creator. And that relationship wasn't enough for the first couple. And so pride, by their own pride, they take this temptation and fall into it. And by pride, they fall into sin. That same sin shows up uh, later in Genesis in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. God has told, had told His people in the creation mandate to fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But in Genesis 11, they have a different idea. They don't want to spread out. They, they, they're scared of that. They want to come together. And they want to build a tower, and it says, in order to, let's, he said, they says, let us make a name for ourselves. Again, the tower is not to glorify God, it's to glorify themselves. It's pride. Again, there at the Tower of Babel. Elevating ourselves above God, that is pride. And pride divides. Pride splits us apart. Pride makes us not want to be with somebody else, because I want to be on top. And if you're, as long as you're on my team, then we can work together. But as soon as you're against me, then I want to push you away because I want to be on top. Pride divides us and God. Pride divides me and you. Pride divides us and them, right? That's what pride does. It's divisive. And that leads to a second sin, hate. Just one chapter later, the very first siblings, Cain and Abel, they didn't get along too well. Sibling rivalry goes back to the very first siblings. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel and hates him enough to kill him. Humanity didn't make it four chapters in the Bible without murder. Murder enters in chapter 4. God appeared to Cain and asked Cain, where, where is Abel? And Cain infamously responds, am I my brother's keeper? Hey, am I supposed to keep up with that guy? And the implication is, uh, yeah. He's your brother. You're supposed to be looking out for one another. Of course you're supposed to be doing that. But murder fueled by hate led to sin. Pride leads to hate all the more sinful. This goes against the very heart of God. God's greatest commandments, as Jesus would make clear to us. Mark 12 and other places, Jesus says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God and love neighbor. All, if, if not all, most sin, probably all, you could probably safely say all sin goes back to breaking those two commandments. Not loving God and not loving our neighbor. And pride and hate are just two examples of breaking those very fundamental, foundational uh, laws. The, these sins are as old as humanity uh, itself. And just like they did for the first family, pride and hate, they tear us apart. They, 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 don't, they don't unite us. 
they, they, by definition, split us apart. We, we see this everywhere, right? I mean, take one of the most beautiful and foundational God-given relationships we have, marriage. And yet, how often does pride affect our marriages? Somebody that we chose to, to be with. Somebody that we wanted to get married to. And yet, so often, our selfishness is what divides us and leads to arguments and struggles within a marriage. Or take just men and women in general. Pride has been the place where sometimes our ugliness leads to, to, to competitions about equality and fairness. And just in general, men and women, we can't, we can't get along. Take parenting. I mean, what could be more pure than caring for a child? And yet, man, I, I see my selfishness more often in caring for my kids than almost anywhere else. I don't want to care for you. I don't want to change another diaper. I don't, you know, we, we, want, we want our stuff. We want to do me. I, I don't want to do this. So often we see our pride. and Kids are cute, you know. Our, our pride goes the other way, of course, right? Kids, uh, your parents are doing everything for you. How could you possibly be arrogant and prideful and hateful to your parents? Nobody else's kids are that way? Okay, that's good. Glad. Uh, your workplace, do you see pride and hate in managers and employees? Of course we do, all the time. That same sin, those, those two same sins, pride, hate, that, that's what drives so many of the tensions and struggles and pains, not just in all those relationships, but also in tensions between people of different races. Racism probably is something that everybody will condemn, but let's just define that. Racism is an explicit or implicit feeling or belief or practice that values one race over the other or devalues one race beneath others. I want to read that to you one more time. Racism is an explicit or implicit feeling, belief, or practice that values one race over other races or devalues one race beneath others. So I hope even as I read that, you can hear all the, the biblical ways that's wrong. That is wrong. As Christians, we, we need to be unified in our world today in being able to say that racism is wrong. We need to be able to call that what it is. As we saw last week, racism devalues somebody else who's created in the image of God. We can't look at somebody just because they're skin color and say that they're less. We're all created in the image of God. And then as today in Genesis 3 and the rest of the places, we can affirm that it is prideful and arrogant to elevate one's own race above somebody else. And racism, one example of that is, is hate of not loving our neighbor. And those sins that started right there in Genesis 3, 4, in the beginning of the Bible, they carry all the way through the Bible and everywhere else. And they show up in places where different races and cultures are, are, are supposed to be in relationship and they are so many times divided. One place is in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron are Moses' sister and brother, and they oppose Moses for marrying a woman who is from Cush, which is in Africa. So the implication is Miriam and Aaron are saying, she doesn't look like us, and so we don't like this, uh, Moses, and they, they come against him. And God punishes Miriam, because Miriam's the one that brought this, with a, a punishment that fits the crime. She gets leprosy, which is a skin disease that made her skin white. So it's like God saying, you prefer white skin to, to dark skin? Here, you can have really white skin with the disease. And she has to be outside the camp for seven days as she repents. 
you can go through the Bible and find all kinds of places where Jews and Samaritans did not get along all the way up until the day of Jesus' ministry where he is working to redeem and restore that. The same is true of Jew and Gentile relationships all the way through the Bible, people of different ethnicities struggling to get along. Even in the early church in Acts chapter 6, uh, the people bring a complaint against the apostles because women who were widows, and there were, it says Hellenistic widows, so, so Greek Gentile widows were not being taken care of as well as the other widows. So the assumption is the Jewish widows were being taken care of and the Greeks weren't. This is the early church. These people just saw Jesus resurrected and they're having a hard time making sure people of different ethnicities are taken care of equally. And they step in and they fix it and they appoint seven people to go and to make sure that's better. And one of the clearest and most challenging is Peter himself falls into this sin. Peter is the one who is, has the, the vision from God in Acts 10 and 11 where God tells them, no, this word goes not just for the Jewish people but to Gentiles. And Peter himself is the vessel through which the gospel goes out to Gentiles. And yet he's in Antioch and he gets tempted into sin. Some people come from Jerusalem who are Judaizers, and they, they're not quite sure about this whole Gentile thing, them coming into the church. And so they come and they tempt even Peter himself. He used to sit down and eat and share meals with these Gentile Christians. And yet it says he separated. He says in, this is in Galatians chapter 2. It says he drew back and separated himself. And Paul, to his face, Paul goes to him directly to condemn his behavior. And he said that his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul is calling out Peter. I mean, these are just the, the, the pillars at the very beginning of the early church. Paul is calling out Peter for separating himself based on ethnicity because he's saying that goes against the gospel, which was meant to bring a powerful unity to Christians across all kinds of divisions. As, as an entire human race, we are supposed to have unity. Sin separated it. But then now in the gospel, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should have all the more unity in this glorious foundation that we have in Christ Jesus. Galatians goes on and says, Galatians 3, 27, 28 says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are unified in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that we should be colorblind or genderblind. That, your gender, your, your, your race, your ethnicity, your story, those are all beautiful parts of your identity that God has given so that you can uniquely display His glory in a way that only you can. So we don't color over those things, but we say those things don't divide us. We are united within those things because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are united to Him. Racism is just one form of partiality. The Bible speaks directly against partiality. James chapter 2 is one of those places where he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There in James chapter 2, he uses the example of a, a rich and a poor man. He says, A rich man comes in with, with, with gold around him. Don't, don't tr put him in a place of honor and then take a poor man who comes into your house and put him at your feet, put him in a place of dishonor. Separating people by, by how much money they have is not respectful. It's not how we act as Christians. Your, your worth is not in, in how much money you have. 
That's one example that James 2 uses, that partiality based on your wealth is, is, is not gospel. It's not Christian. And so the same truth applies for people of different races. Or take Luke chapter 18, where the Pharisee see, is coming into the temple to pray, and he sees a tax collector. And there, it's not money, but it's moral status. The, tax, the, the Pharisee thinks that because he keeps the laws, at least outwardly, he says, thank, he praises God that he is not like this man. He puts him down. He, he others him. He puts him in another category because of a moral, his idea of a moral standard. That, in that uh, account, Luke chapter 18, where the tax collector bows his head and he just prays for forgiveness as a sinner and says, that man goes away justified. The Pharisee, he, he missed it altogether. You see, those are the same sins showing up. We just tracked Genesis, Numbers, all the way through into the New Testament. Pride and hate that lead to division instead of love and humility that lead to our unity. Our, our common ground as Christians, we, we need to be able to affirm that racism and any other form of partiality and separateness and division is sin. And it's sin that stems from pride and hate. And the Bible clearly speaks against it on the grounds of not loving our neighbor as ourself. That much should be clear. We should be able to stand on that firmly as Christians, confident in the gospel, confident in what the Bible speaks, and clear in what we say God calls us to. Now, I recognize that in, in the current conversation today, there are other issues that go along with this. Issues like implicit bias, corporate sin, systemic sin and injustice. And those issues are really beyond my, my uh, level of expertise and authority and beyond my scope this morning. I do acknowledge that these are, there are complicated ways that this works itself out in our society. But I, I want to give us just the, this foundation we can all agree on, that today, th theologically, we can come to the Bible and say, Humanity is depraved. Our depravity, you follow the story of the Bible from beginning to end, that the basic truth is, if there's a way we can sin, we're, humanity's probably going to do it. Like we're going to figure out the way to sin if we can figure out any way to do it. We are all sinners, and we're probably more sinful than we think. But here's the good news of the gospel. You're also more loved than you dare to hope. You're more loved than you dared to hope. The good news of the gospel is that these sins don't define us and they don't leave us. We're not stuck there forever. Many times our primary response to issues of race and tension is we get defensive because we don't want to say, I'm a sinner. We don't want to be considered one of those people, right? So we, we, we say sinners are that, that category as a sinner. I'm good. I'm okay. And we try to justify ourselves. And many times we'll do that by attacking somebody else. James 1.19, somebody quoted this uh, Wednesday night when we were together. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. As Christians, we, we don't have to deflect sin. We, we can own that. We can say yes. I, I am a sinner, and I want to listen and hear ways that I may have sinned that I didn't even know I sinned. I want to be aware of those things so I can see them. We don't have to rush to prove somebody else is guilty in order to prove that we are innocent. That's not how it works. 
You don't get your innocence by just proving somebody is more guilty than, than you are. We, we can all just say, yep, we are sinners. And I think as Americans, as Christians who live in America, we should also be able to affirm the horrors of American history in places of slavery and oppression of blacks by whites. That, that should be something we should be able to just say, yep, that was awful. And that, that led to all kinds of, of ways that injustice has continued. And so we just want to say, yeah, these, we need to own that and say this is, this is a way that America has sinned. Our redemption as Christians isn't, isn't dependent on us deflecting that. We don't become righteous by saying, well, you know, this happened that was good. Or whatever. We can just say it was bad. And then we can say our innocence, our righteousness, our justice doesn't come from ignoring that. It comes from the one who took our guilt, the one who took our shame, and our pain, and paid for it all. Jesus. That's where our innocence comes from. That's where we can find freedom and salvation. One pastor uh, who kind of blogged kind of through the summer and everything's going on, he said, sin and guilt is what got us into all this mess. So justification by faith alone through grace is what can get us out. The gospel, the good news, is that for all of us, there's forgiveness available. We are sinners, yes. And even more than our sin, God is gracious. If we truly knew the character of our Father, then we wouldn't have to deflect the sin. We wouldn't have to ignore it. We could just own it and then come to Him for forgiveness. Did you see what Adam and Eve did when they, when they recognized their sin? Verse 8 says this, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. They tried to hide. They took, they, noticing that they are sinners, they tried to go and to hide themselves, to just ignore it, you know? That doesn't work. It's, it's God, you know? That seems foolish. And the Bible calls us to the opposite of that. In place of hiding our sin, we should repent from it. As Christians, we're called to do this, to, to lead the way, to lead with repentance. If we can recognize that we're all sinners, even in places of pride and hate, then the Bible's clear next step, the clear response to that is to repent. The opposite of hiding is to repent. If you know the rest of Genesis 3, that you know when God confronts Adam, he blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. They just keep passing on. Nobody wants to take ownership. As Christians, we're called to just raise our hands and say, Yep, God, I did it. I did it. I sinned. I can be arrogant. I can be hateful. I can own it. And I can ask for forgiveness. As Christians living in a broken world, let, let us be the ones who lead the way in finding unity and love and justice. And it starts with our own repentance. It starts with recognizing anywhere we have sinned and confessing that. Can, can you do that? Can you look at your life and say, there are places where I've got pride or hate Especially, it's worth considering our relationships with people who don't look like us and say, is there anywhere that I've got pride or hate? If so, lament that, grieve it, call it what it is, and lay it down before God. Confess places of racism or pride or partiality or hate of any kind. Let, let the grief of that hit you. Feel the remorse of that and realize that sin like this is what cost Jesus his life. Feel the pain of that. And give it over to Him. Repent. Turn away from it. Don't live in it anymore. By the power of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, replace pride 
with humility. Replace hate with love. Love God, love neighbor. That's what it looks like to live as Christians. The good news of the gospel is that though we are all guilty, we are not permanently guilty. We can be forgiven and we can be freed. The beginning of Jesus' ministry in the gospel of Mark, Jesus shows up, Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. As Christians, our, our time is now. The time is here. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is with us. So repent. Turn away from sin. Repent of any pride or any hate in any kind of form. And instead, believe in the gospel. Live in the love of the Lord and love of neighbor. All kinds of different neighbors. Because that's the good news that the gospel, that the good news of the gospel has empowered us to be able to live that way. Let that be common ground for us. Yes, we're created in the image of God. Yes, we have all sinned. And yes, by the power of the gospel, we can be forgiven and freed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you have not abandoned us in our sin. Lord, we look around and we see so many places where sin is out in the world. But God, today we especially want to pause and look in our own hearts and see where there is sin in us. God, we know we can't do anything to change anybody else's heart. We can only look inwardly and ask you to change our own hearts. And so, Lord, we pray today that as Christians we would be leaders First in repentance, and then in love, and in mercy, and justice, and peace, especially in a very broken world. Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, these moments as we sing back in worship to you. May you draw us to yourself, that we would glorify you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.